0: The nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic and I will be your host for today's nonprofit MBA. Do not know us? We are the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit for nonprofits. And yes, there is a company that focuses on lines of credit for nonprofits. We've been in business for twelve years, and this is actually my sixth season doing the nonprofit MBA podcast. I think it's almost four hundred episodes, and I tell you, I th- they're just great. I mean, I I am on two boards myself, and so <laughs> I learn a lot from our guests. If you're interested in learning more about a line of credit for your uh nonprofit please visit nonprofitmba.podcast.com again that's nonprofitmba.podcast.com uh today and uh, and uh, in 2023 we actually have a uh, a great sponsor uh, i really appreciate it uh, a raise i i don't need to have sponsors but i really like what a raise does i believe in it i in fact one of the nonprofits that i'm on the board for i i'm suggesting that they look at them Arrays a raise, uh, fast fund online is a cloud based system that seamlessly integrates nonprofit fund accounting, fundraising, and payroll in a single design solution. So it's it's software that's specifically made for accounting for nonprofits, which to me it's that's don't don't use something that's not built for nonprofits like QuickBooks. I think you know, a raise is something that's good for it. If you're interested uh, in learning more, go to raise.com. It's A-R-A-I-Z-E.com or call 847-261-9605 and ask for Joe Scarano, and he'll be happy to help you. Today, I am very excited to be bringing back a, a, a guest that I had before. I thought she was excellent. And I asked her to come back again. Uh, Ria Saarinen from dave thomas foundation for adoption uh for the past 30 years plus uh i know like me after 30 you don't say 32 35 anymore right rita uh uh, rita has worked on behalf of abused neglected and vulnerable children providing leadership for local state and national efforts working to improve the juvenile justice and child welfare system while striving to assure safe and permanent homes for north america's children Leading the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, a national nonprofit uh, public charity since two thousand and one, and the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption in Canada since two thousand four, Mrs. Soranen works to find permanent families for more than one hundred and forty thousand waiting children in North America foster care systems. Rita, welcome again to the Nonprofit MBA podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be back. I love this show. So thank you for having us. Thank again. you.
0: I, I, I enjoy doing it. Um, so, you know, today's topic, uh, uh, running an integrated fundraising and marketing team for your nonprofit. Um, you know, I've really noticed that, you know, the, the one of the key elements of a nonprofit, you know, that's smaller. Um, they really have to figure this all out about, you know, building a fundraising team, uh, a marketing team, or, you know, really they have to attack it with gusto, don't they?
1: Yeah, they do. And, and and I think it's been very traditional, especially with smaller nonprofits, that if there is a separate f- a fundraiser that's not just the executive director or the CEO, then all of those efforts going to the fundraising department. And frequently what we say is, oh, we're having a an event to raise funds, but it will also raise awareness for the organization. And that's absolutely true. But I think for those organizations that can begin to think about dedicating resources to a marketing professional as well, whether it's internal or external, um, that notion that there are particular um, skill sets for someone that that is expert in marketing that helps to advance the cause, that helps to establish brand identity. There are particular skill sets for a fundraiser, an expert fundraiser, but they're uniquely overlap in their tactics, in their outcomes, in their measurable metrics and supporting each other. And so really looking at not how do we keep those departments separate, but how do we fully integrate them to get the biggest bang for the buck on promoting the cause, raising funds and creating brand identity that then raises funds. Did you
0: uh, in your career uh, work for a small nonprofit?
1: I did. There was a point in time when I was the, the executive director that also did the marketing, also did the fundraising. Um, and so it's a heavy lift. It's a burnout job, I think, for organizations where the, the, the crux of the organization relies on the ability for a single person or maybe two people to both spread the message and raise those critical dollars. It's done. It's done in in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of organizations across the nation because they are limited by the kinds of funds they can use for a marketing department. It sometimes feels like, uh, uh, you know, maybe not the right use of funds. The the fundraising people can do that, but but there really are separate skills, but then they have to be integrated.
0: And what what do you think is the revenue mark where, it gets to a point where the executive director can't do the fundraising anymore as they're, you know, multiple of their tasks. At what point? Is it a million dollars? Is it five million?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think it's one dependent on what is the strategic plan forward, what is the goal for what 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 are the kinds of dollars that we need to raise. It takes dollars to raise dollars. We hear that all the time, but you're looking at a budget that's stretched thin already, and it's easy to say that difficult to implement. So I think it's getting the board on on task to say we can't go past this point and it might be that million dollar point it might be a little bit sooner than that but we can't get past this if we don't have the quality staff and we might not see the results for 12 to 18 to 24 months that we really need but that investment at that point will indeed generate results
0: yeah so i mean a good example so i'm on two different well i'm kind of on two different boards uh the one board I'm on is a very small nonprofit and the other one's a $10 million nonprofit. And the one board I'm on uh, is called Wean Dream. They, they provide free Halloween costumes to kids who can't afford them. And by the way, about 90% of them are kids in foster care. So, you know, it's it's a really good cause. Uh, they're very small. They 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 almost had no budget. They were they've been around for for uh, maybe uh, I think 2012 is when they started. And, um, they, they donate about a thousand costumes a year that they collect. And then I came on board and, you know, I, I suggested we start buying new costumes instead of getting a donate for a variety of reasons. So I, then last year suggested, Hey, I think we should start doing fundraising. Right. Because it's all hundred percent volunteer. So it's yeah. a little different. Right. And, and we raised, and we raised $10,000 so like this year i suggested to them now having seen the 10 million dollar nonprofit i went to my first fundraising gala which was unbelievable <laughs> the amount of money that they raise at these galas is just incredible and so i tasked the the executive director from ween dream to say i think we should have a fundraiser this year you know and um so you know i i kind of see what it's like for a very small nonprofit profit to yes. start to make the, the to start thinking about the change of hey wait a minute we're going to be maybe more professional in what we do what do you think
1: yeah and not only it's not just more professional i think it's really aligning that sense of in order to serve more of our customers in order to build a bigger audience for the need for those customers then we've got to we've got to do something different than solely depending on the executive director to get everything done and there are brilliant executive directors out there that can do it but but in order to get to that next level yes i think it's both professionalizing Look, if you look at any for-profit, right, and the sales department or the product development department, it can never stand alone. It's uniquely aligned with a marketing department and that will advance whatever they decide in product development, that will advance however, whatever sales they've determined will make this company profitable. I think in a way, we can think about that in the same way. Uh, A for-profit enterprise would never just say, I've got this great product, and so now I'm just going to sell it. (laughs) <laughs> because no one will know about it, um, whether it's whether it's a digital advertising or or, or you know uh, public service announcements for nonprofits, whatever it is, um, I, I think it is about really looking into the future. How c- our goal with every nonprofit is how can we serve the maximum number of. Whatever our constituents are, whether it's children waiting to be adopted, or children that need Halloween costumes, or or children with uh, some kind of wretched um, childhood disease that needs to get cured, we have to look at the end. What's the end goal? That every child will have will have a Halloween costume if they if they want one. That every child will live without the fear of of, of childhood cancer. That every child will have a safe and permanent home. And then you step back. How are we going to get there? And and I think the board is placed a really critical role in this because um, if you can't afford yet as you're building your budget to afford someone that is expert in marketing you can get an expert marketer on your board and the reason that they're there is to help you with those conversations with those causes not necessarily to do all the work for you but to help you get to that next level as well
0: what do you think the sign typically is for an executive director to finally say you know what i can't do this anymore. I can't do all of this. I need to, we need to, I need to delegate this fundraising efforts. What, 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 what is the sign? Burnout? Uh, is it, is it just, uh, she or he, uh, knows it's time. what, what, what do you think it is?
1: The signs are probably different with every organization. It's my hope that every board and every executive director, and particularly at that executive committee level, have ongoing, true and honest conversations so that an executive director doesn't feel like it's failure or an admission of lack of capacity to be able to say to their board chair or to their executive committee, this isn't going to keep, it can't keep going this way. You're either going to lose me or we're not going to reach the goals that we need to reach. So I'm hoping that rather than trying to peek through the, the the curtain that an executive director may put up so no one sees what's behind that curtain because they're afraid of, of feeling less than what the board sees in front of the curtain, that there's an honest, ongoing, transparent conversation. And that there's an environment where the executive director feels comfortable saying, here's what I propose for this budget. And here's, you help me, but here's what, how I think we can get there in order to raise the funds to hire whatever staff it is that will help me move this forward and if there's a big um, chasm there if that there's no bridge between those two conversations then I think the board has to take a serious look at itself as well
0: yeah I mean having uh, most of my listeners in the nonprofit media they don't know that over the set, over 30 years I've, I've built seven companies so I I've seen what it's like to hire someone for a position that doesn't have any experience and, and where I don't have any experience. (laughs) And so you have two people who don't have any experience and what that's like, and then take the opposite where I hire somebody who has a lot of experience and has been successful at it. And you even forget the idea that maybe I don't even know the job well, what a difference, how much life is so much easier. And so my, this is a segue into me saying about hiring the right person, but, you know, if you have somebody who's successful at fundraising somewhere else, they're going to cost a fortune, right? And so, you know, what, what are your suggestions in regards to delegating this fundraising marketing effort, you know, as far as, you know, how do you go about doing that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think you have to keep in mind that indeed, you know, you said it's small steps. So you don't have to hire necessarily your first professional fundraiser as someone that worked at a large university that that was raising literally millions and millions and millions of dollars on a on a monthly basis, perhaps. You know, you don't necessarily have to start with that person, but you can start with someone that understands fundraising, that is passionate about the mission. I think that's always critical. Is there, can you see evidence about passion about this mission? And, um, and then make that investment in someone who you're willing to help grow and learn as well. And the same with, with the marketing piece. You know, lots of people come out of, of marketing programs in college. They may not have a lot of experience, but they've learned the techniques. They, they may have interned. They may have, so start with the baby steps and, and be willing to invest in their continued learning. Or, you know, you say, nope, we, we can't do that we're going to go ahead and we're going to get a next level fundraiser because that's what it's going to take or or we're going to get a sort of next level marketer and fundraiser tandem team. We're going to invest the dollars and we're going to go ahead and do that um, if we can reasonably feel like we can find a way to get those dollars. And again, that's where the board comes in, right? The board is critical in this aspect. It's not just a go-do it staff. It's particularly at that development level of of really beginning to grow an organization, of beginning to look at the next phase of how we define ourselves as a staff. I think once that that's up and running and it's fully staffed and fully functional and the results are in and you're constantly looking at results that's a different conversation but when it's a hands-on board then it truly has to be hands-on and i think that's part of that um real expectations for board members
0: yeah well. I, that's my re- first reaction to my my first reaction is if i was tasked with this um you know trying to let's say i'm an executive director or let's say i'm on the board of a, a nonprofit, just kind of like i am with Ring but um, my, my first reaction would be is let's take some baby steps. Let's at least get somebody who works, who's going to work part time. And let's get somebody who maybe has kids at home, uh, a dad or a mom, uh, who wants to get out and wants to work and they're type A personalities, kind of go getters. Right. And then I would need to do one of two things. I would, um, I would either see if I have somebody on my board who is really, really good, has a professional career in marketing. And I would ask them to work together with that part-timer to mentor them. And if I don't have somebody on my board who is a marketing person, then uh, I might be a good opportunity for me to bring someone in that I know and say, could you do me a favor? Can you help mentor this person? Yes. The the other option is um, I and I I think two other options would be um to there's I always I bring a lot of coaches on this podcast. Get somebody who's a fundraising coach and coach us up, right? Coach us up. It doesn't take much. And um, by the way, if you're raising money, you're gonna pay for your coach. It's not a big deal. Or the last one would be is to reach out to. Maybe a larger nonprofit who might be willing to mentor us and say, could you spend an hour or two with us maybe a mo- every month and kind of lead yeah. us in this direction? And so I, I bring that part time person with us, but not spend a lot of money to just to develop the system. And the most important thing would be let's let's develop a process, not so much the result. I mean, what, you know, those are my instincts. Uh, Do I win the Rita, a seal of approval for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think those are perfect. They're spot on. And in fact, we have reached out to other very large nonprofits, you know, I won't mention names, but but very brand known nonprofits that everybody points to and and says, wow, how did they do that? We've actually reached out to those as we were beginning to engage in something that was new to us, digital fundraising, Um, you know. Are you willing to talk about what you do? And most nonprofits are—they're absolutely willing to share, you know, how they got there, what they do, what perhaps outside organizations they work with that they might recommend. Um, so I think that reaching out is critical. It, It's—you it, know—we think of nonprofits as being very competitive for dollars, but we're all in different spaces. And I think even if we're in the same space, we're—we're we're a, a really—I think. Um, deeply um, um, honest sense of organizations that absolutely will talk to our colleagues about what we've done. I think that notion of of, of- Potentially hiring a, a part time somebody that wants to get, you know, just begin to get their foot back into perhaps working full time is a good idea. But I, I also think there's there's the other end of the spectrum. Folks who are, you know, have reached the end perhaps of their active careers. They're not necessarily retired, but they're looking for something a little less intense than running a full fundraising team at an organization. They're willing to step back in terms of pay, but still have years of experience and lots of thought leadership skills, either for the board or for a paid position. So I think looking at both ends of those spectrums is a good idea that you don't necessarily have to jump into $180,000 a year, um, you know, uh, prime of, of career professional as your first out. Yes. I think your ideas are brilliant.
0: And then uh, I don't use the word brilliant with me, but (laughs) yeah, they're good. Um, Anyway. And then the other option was like, I did, I I want This is a kind of leading into a question I want to ask, but I did hire, I have hired some very, very uh, incredible employees fresh out of college, um, yes. and and they were they were great and um, and th- uh, full of enthusiasm and determination. It, it, just uh, my question is, if you do hire someone out of the co- college uh, and they are a Type A personality, maybe let's say for this fundraising effort. Um, what do you think the pay goes for those type of people nowadays? I know it depends on the state where you. I know you're in Ohio, so let's just say in Ohio, would you say sixty thousand?
1: Yeah, I think I think around I was going to say sixty for some experience, you know, for for a entry level fifty to sixty, depending on region of the country. That might be seventy to eighty, depending on which coast you're on. Um, uh, and, and it always astounds me to say that because I can think of times in my life, you know, when I was running an organization, I wasn't making that much. But the world has changed oh, significantly. Did you see what my son makes.
0: Yeah. I, I, it's yeah. shocking when he told me uh about what the offer was. I, I said. Well, I know when he was a senior in college he told me, and he's a, a IT guy. I said, You're wrong. It can't be that much. <laughs> exactly. Right? I exactly. Get
1: it. Um and I think it's selling it as you are you have the opportunity to help us build a dynamic, best in class organization and grow with us to do that. I think there are a lot of people that want it wanna be able to s- put yeah. their fingerprint I know on having I do. developed
0: a department. Yeah, I know I do. I mean, I'm a little bit disappointed with Ween Dream, and they're just not kind of going for it. And, uh, you know, I get it. It's, a volu- it's all volunteer. So, you know, I'm lead lead the horse to the water, so to speak. Um, okay, so we, we kind of started off, I started off smaller because you know, a lot of our listeners are smaller nonprofits. So, you know, Give us a little bit more insight as to what else you think is kind of critical in developing a a very great fundraising marketing team.
1: I think for those larger nonprofits that may have somebody dedicated to advancing awareness of the mission and also have a fundraising department, those are still, they tend to be very bifurcated and different different budget tracks in the budget. And one doesn't really understand the the relationship of the two that you 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 fundraise to build brand awareness as well as fundraising you build brand awareness in order to advance the mission as well as getting new donors in the door so that in our organization for example they are completely integrated we have a senior vice president of of um, marketing and development fundraising and then we have teams under that person um, but but it's it's one department and that's fairly unique i think in in large or small uh, organizations. And there's the success metrics are dependent on each other. Um, and the budgets uh, weave in and out of each other. So I think uh, even if you're a mid or large sized nonprofit organization, think about how you're structured now and how your teams may be in competition for each other, um, uh, whether whether subtle or overt for both budget and success uh, acknowledgement, when they should be uh, leaning on each other for budget and success acknowledgement internally and externally.
0: You use the word brand and it just it triggered something in my mind. Um, you know, branding is is kind of an advanced concept. And mm. but I, I would think that even before you're going to go back, you're going to start doing your fundraising efforts, you really got to take a step back and know, you know, you have to really have it well defined about why we do what we do and how we do it. And, you know, all those key marketing questions, I think that that before you say, oh, let's go fundraise, you, you better have that down because, you know, you got to everybody's got to be talking the talk and and yes. you got to be on the same page. And, you know, your, your organization is not going to move forward unless everybody understands your why. And I'm talking about internally, you know, so I, that's my first instinct. Then you can start fundraising, and then at the same time, you can start looking at the branding strategy of this is what we mean and why we mean it. Is that fair?
1: Exactly. Exactly, and that's where I think the marketing folks become critical to this in terms of – Consistent internal messaging, consistent external messaging. And and look, when you think about it for, and I can speak for the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, our mission is to dramatically increase the adoptions of children out of America, North America's foster care system. Behind that, we talk about who these children are, why they're in foster care, um, what are the myths and misperceptions about them. But our brand Is the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and everything that comes underneath that, which is the mission, which are the programs that we do. But people donate to the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. And so that brand has to be particularly clear and visible. And and again, both get to each other. Who are you? The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. What do you do? X, Y and Z. Wait. What do you do? This is what we do, but but we're the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. So it's it's nuanced and and yet it's it's really out there and overt about all organizations, no matter what your name is, has to carry who you are. So what your brand is has to carry who you are, and who you are has to has to cannot be separate from the name that people will donate. Well, certainly. To.
0: I mean, I knew before you came on the first episode. I knew who, who your organization was. So, you know, um, so that branding has done, has worked well, um,
1: and we're lucky we have a we have a famous yeah. name in our brand. But the longer we go, the the less known that name is, and so we see a heightened need to continue with that legacy brand awareness as well. Well,
0: I also I studied business, I studied uh, the case study of uh, Wendy's. So I kind of that's that's the other thing too. So I you know I know about the girl on the on it and you know all that stuff. So. Um, sure. Fair enough. Um, so, what has surprised you with um, how fundraising has changed over the years?
1: Look, there, there. Is, it is, it is a complex field. It is, and there are so many channels for fundraising now. Um, the typical. Um, you know, send a letter and hope you'll get results, which is, you know, a number of years ago, which was kind of the only way people fundraised. There weren't websites and and digital uh, links in. That that typical send a letter, get results, surprisingly is still one of the top ways that people engage new donors. And I we thought that that was kind of dying. It's not. So that's still a critical piece. But in addition to that, this notion of, um, uh, cryptocurrency and people that want to donate cryptocurrency and what are the platforms to make that easy for your foundation? Um, digital advertising and digital fundraising on all of its the, the complex platforms. And how do you have that integrated messaging across multi-channels for fundraising? Um, engaging individuals, groups, corporations, foundations, all of that traditional fundraising uh and yet there are a lot of folks out there that that no longer understand or, or or subscribe to that sort of traditional fundraising that they're willing to give to help support um overhead and 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 internal growth. Um so there, there is a lot changing. The competition is still there. There are a lot of needy causes in this country. And yet the dollars absolutely are there. It's finding the right channel in. And creating this pathway for new donors, engaging new donors at probably small levels, and then building them up toward perhaps becoming larger donors through nurturing, through development, through constant communication, through individual phone calls, whatever it takes. You know, it is a complex field of, of relationship building uh, you know, and that's not even mentioning things like planned giving, the complexities of what it takes to have a planned giving platform so that you can engage potentially long term donors in, in their thinking about what they're going to do with their individual wealth. So, um, it really does take someone that understands, may not be able to institute all of those platforms at once, but understands the wide array of opportunities open to nonprofits, but it takes a dedicated effort to be able to nurture, you can't just get donors in the door and then not nurture them, not communicate with them, not give them the recognition that they may say they don't need, but, but may want. Um, and so figuring out what's behind individual donor aspirations as well. What percentage of
0: um, your organization's uh, funding came from the original funder and what percentage now comes from other funders?
1: For us personally, yeah. So um, the wonderful thing that that Dave Thomas set up is that as an independent nonprofit organization, we don't get a steady flow of funds from the corporation, for example, profit-based funds. What we do have access into is um, the franchisees and individual fundraising that they do at the restaurant level, which is significant, um, as well as certainly some corporate donations and corporate, again, access into the brand and the the brand that is the Wendy's company. When we first started, it was it was clearly 100 percent of the funding was related to Wendy's or Wendy's partners, franchisees and affiliates as we've grown our external fundraising by external, I mean, external from the Wendy's system, because we realized this can't just be a Wendy's burden. And Dave Thomas set it up that way, I think intentionally to keep us moving, to keep us talking about this issue and this cause and not just be maybe lazy and being a corporate foundation. And we would never have to go out and ask for dollars and expand the conversation. So it was nearly a hundred percent when this organization started 30 years ago. Now it's probably hovering at just about
0: um 50-50%. Wow. You yeah. know, uh, off the cuff weird conversation a weird question. I'll just say it. Did you, did does Dave did Dave Thomas think that he was a well-adjusted individual because he was adopted?
1: Sorry, I, I didn't did, hear exactly Did
0: Dave Thomas feel like he was a, uh, a well adjusted person because he was adopted?
1: He appreciated the story of adoption in his life. He always said that he was where he was because he was adopted. Underneath that, it was, a, it was a challenging story. And I think he uniquely understood our older children in foster care because although he was adopted, his his adoptive mother passed away when he was relatively young. His father moved frequently for work. And so he was raised by his grandmother, Minnie, and he left home at age 16. So, on the surface, it may look like, you know, whatever that phrase is, that he, he had a challenging life. But what drove him was that understanding of family, um, that he, he did have the opportunity for family because he was adopted. Um, and, um, although his life was challenged, he strove to do better things with his life. Um, so I, I think he would tell you if he was alive today that his success was, was because of his adoption. Um, but, the success of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption was built on his unique understanding of what children go through when they have to move a lot, when they're raised perhaps by extended family members, when they feel compelled to leave home at an early age to do something different. You, uh, uh, you met Dave Thomas? I did. I didn't have a lot of time with him. I grew up in Columbus, um, and and this then Wendy's was founded in Columbus. He his family lived here, so certainly knew that story. Um, when I started in this position twenty plus years ago, he was relatively ill. He was still on the board, but he was relatively ill, and I only had a very short period of time before he passed away. So had met him, yes. His daughters, two of his daughters still sit on the board, so the family's still very connected and had the benefit of so many people in the Wendy's company from franchisees to corporate members who did work with him every day, who did understand him and was able to pull on them on, would Dave Thomas want this? You know, Are we doing this the way that Dave Thomas would have wanted? So I had the benefit of a lot of people that worked very closely with.
0: Him. Last question. Um, so what challenges do, does your organization now experience when it comes to fundraising and marketing? And what, what are the, the things that you see that you guys have um, struggles with?
1: I think it was just what we talked about just a few minutes ago, making sure people understand that we are the proud an honored philanthropic partner of the Wendy System, but but our but we have to do increasingly external fundraising so that the full burden doesn't fall on the Wendy System, and so not to um, to make sure that people don't think that we're a, we're a corporate foundation, and then when we're out there, um, making sure that people understand this mission. Because there's so many myths and misperceptions about children in foster care and families and abuse and neglect, making sure they understand the need behind this mission to get them engaged, even if they weren't adopted, even if they weren't in foster care, that you don't have to have that direct experience to feel strongly about the need for a child. So for us, it is that it's the very reason that we integrate the marketing and fundraising is how do we get over the myths and misperceptions in order to continue to fundraise for these children? And even as we've been very successful at fundraising, um, to show that the need is not met, that we need to continue to address this in such a way that d- dollars do have direct impact on the mission. And we work very hard. Um, we're still at a 90% of dollars that come in the door go directly out to programs and services of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, so struggling to keep that ratio very high when we want to, of course, hire the best possible staff to make this mission work, um, do the kinds of things that don't come under program services, but prove to the public that their dollars are well used.
0: So, is it fair to say, in, in showing that you have that your that your teams have a sense of urgency?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute sense of urgency. What we say every day here, a day in foster care for a child waiting to be adopted is a day of childhood lost that they don't know. So that sense of urgency permeates every team, every individual, every strategic thinking, um, every activity that we take, even when we step back and say, wow, we're back from the pandemic. We're all together again. Now we need to figure out how to have some fun together. We have to balance that against, is this the right way to use, you know, the right way to use our time? Yes, it is. We've got to be a a fully functional team and still dedicated to the urgency of this mission
0: yeah I get it I get it well it was really a great podcast just like our last one um but that's all the time we have for today I'd like to thank so very much Rita Sorenen from Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption for coming on to today's podcast and if you like today's podcast please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps I you know we are really bringing on great get we always have great guests and i just think that if you're an executive director and you listen to the nonprofit profit podcast you, you're really going to get better at what you do um and also if you like today's podcast please give us a five-star review in the podcasting app to help us get the word out those reviews help us um get ranked higher we're in the top five uh, percent of all podcasts in our space right now and of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862 207 4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Rita, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that?
1: They can absolutely reach out at dave thomas foundation, excuse me, dave thomas If they want to get directly to me, that's the best way in, or they can call our 800 line, 800 ask ask d t f a i love talking to folks about um you know what they're doing and what we're doing and, and where we can learn from each other
0: great thanks for coming on
1: it's my pleasure as always so i want to thank
0: all of our listeners out there for doing all the heavy lifting of making the world a better place um you know i know uh, well reed is doing her part and i'm i'm always trying to do my part too and but you guys are out there every single day and you're you're out there really making it work but just don't forget you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of your family your kids your 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 organization uh your cause so make sure you're taking good care of yourself first and then you'll be good for your cause and for your family so other than that i want to wish everybody a great day enjoy yourselves uh keep a positive attitude and thank you for listening.